Today's show is sponsored by WSO2. As we all know, software is eating the world. The digitization of day-to-day life is forcing companies in every industry to build fresh digital experiences or fade into obscurity. So how do you get started? Well, you turn to Corio, a low-code integration platform that takes your ideas from concepts to production in only a few minutes. Corio allows you to seamlessly move between low-code to source code, improving productivity and collaboration between full-code and low-code developers. AI-assisted development guides help you every step of the way. Corio allows you to fully focus on building services, integrations, and APIs as the platform automates DevOps and API management flows. Corio gives you the tools needed to lift any business into the 21st century. Ready to move into the digital age? Visit WSO2.com slash Corio today. That's WSO2.com slash Corio, C-H-O-R-E-O. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. We are continuing to move through June of 2021 and getting to the, the last third of the month. Hope everybody's doing well. This is another Sunday's Perspective show. And, uh, you know, as we often do on these Sunday shows, you know, the other shows, the Wednesday shows, uh, you know, we sit down, we try and find some really interesting topics that, uh, you know, we think long term are, are worth people digging into, people learning about. And then on the Sunday show, you know, we tend to sort of uh, be a little more perspective. And sometimes it's, you know, things that uh, we think are happening big in the industry, long term thinking. And sometimes it's kind of falls to something that uh, maybe came up in, in, in our day job and kind of got us pondering some stuff. And, and this week, uh, you know, I had a question that uh, I'd heard several times in, in talking to a lot of different companies, uh, but it seemed to come up again this week. And it got me thinking, well, maybe I should, uh, you know, think a little more how do I how do I try to answer this in a way that uh, is you know not sort of an immediate answer, but also um, you know put some perspective on some things in the industry? And that question is it's pretty simple, but also fairly complex. And it was you know somebody said, hey, uh, you know we're using some of these newer technologies, um, you know cloud native technologies, whatever they might be, and you know we're having some success, but we're not necessarily you know seeing massive adoption. And you know they basically said. How do we improve our adoption rate? How do we, you know, are we doing a good job? Are we doing the right things? Um, how do we improve our adoption rate? And one of the things I got to thinking about is, as I was talking to this company, you know, and we talked about, uh, you know, how they had rolled it out, um, how they talk about it internally, <clears throat> how they advertise it to uh, their stakeholders and constituents, and, um, you know, how they, they go setting it up and, and you know, how to kind of how they think about it. And, you know, one of the things that came up was this idea of, you know, do they have sort of in-between people? And what I mean by in-between people is people that are doing functional jobs. Um, so, you know, the equivalent to this, if you if you think about things from sort of the vendor community, is people that do jobs like DevRel and technical marketing and strategy. And, you know, the people that you often see talking about new technologies, you often see them demonstrating it, maybe writing, a, you know, a thought process, you know, a thought leadership paper or something. And, you know, a lot of times they're they're communicating. They're talking about things that are new. Uh, they're taking feedback from communities. They're listening to what people are doing. They're listening to where there's problem spaces. They're trying to create the art of the possible, maybe a new demonstration or something. And I often find <clears throat> that many companies that that ask this question and are struggling a little bit really don't make those sort of investments. They don't invest in these sort of in-between people. And so what I thought I would do in uh, today's Sunday conversation or Sunday perspective show is really dig in a little bit into the importance of these in-between people, in-between job functions, 
and kind of why they exist on the vendor side and why maybe uh, they should be something that would exist uh, for you if you are a sort of end user technology customer or even just, you know, a group or a company that's trying to get more adoption of your technology. So we're going to dig into that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Okta, the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's Identity Cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at Okta.com. That's O-K-T-A.com. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and traces from technologies like Istio, AppMesh, and Envoy. Plus, Datadog's service map automatically plots out the dependencies in your microservices architectures for seamless, context-rich troubleshooting. With rich visualizations, algorithmic alerting, and more than 250 vendor-supported integrations, Datadog allows you to monitor your distributed applications in real time. Start a free 14-day trial today by visiting datadog.com slash cloudcast, and Datadog will send you a great free t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, as I mentioned at the top of the show, what I want to dig into is a little bit of coming back to this main question of, you know, how do we increase adoption of something that we do? And, you know, there's always, um, you know, some basic things if you, you know, were sitting there in business school or you're talking to successful product managers or entrepreneurs and they would say, well, you know, the first thing you've got to do is, is you've got to make sure that <clears throat> you're identifying with something that's a, that's a distinct problem, something that people are going to be willing to pay for or be willing to um, sacrifice something in order to reduce pain. Okay, so you know, I, let, let's identify an actual problem versus something that's just, hey, that seems like it's a cool thing to solve, right? Uh, the second thing is you want to make sure that it's um, you know fairly uh, commonplace, right? If it's just sort of a niche thing, uh, maybe it's hard for people to recognize that this is actually a problem. You want to pick a problem that many people or many groups recognize as a problem um, such that, you know, you're not building a very niche thing uh, for a very niche group and you may not get the chance to learn or scale or anything like that. And then obviously, um, you know, you want to make sure that uh, this is something that, um, you know, people think is is a problem, right? That they, you know, they're, they're going to want to, um, you know, invest their time to solve the problem, that they're going to learn about it and so forth. And, the second thing, you know, is, you know, you always hear uh, entrepreneurs talk about, you know, product market fit, right? So that's obviously, you could start off in one direction, doesn't really solve a problem, you go and get some feedback, okay, we better understand your problem, we can we can adjust what we're trying to offer, maybe we're going to, maybe it's the right price point, maybe it's the right speed and velocity, it's the right packaging, right? So, you know, it's, you know, do we have a problem? Do we have product market fit? Is our timing right? Uh, you know, do people think there's a problem and they're willing to pay for it? All those sort of things. And those are all the really, you know, the fundamental things. And then obviously you want to, you know, build your company or build your group the right way and all those, <clears throat> all those types of things. But then, you know, you often find, well, you know, some 
groups, some products, some companies tend to do better than others. And, and you know, sometimes you go, huh, what is the, what is the way they did that? You know, do, do they have, you know, they have a better user interface? Do they, is their pricing better than ours? Do they, you know, do they do something that's, that's sort of unique? And in some cases, that's the case, right? Maybe it's, you know, the reason we buy an Apple product versus an Android product is it's easier to use. It, it just feels better in my hand or whatever it is. It works better with these 50 other devices I have in my house. But in some cases, it's, you know, there was just, they just made it easier for us. <clears throat> and what oftentimes that is, and, and this is something that I often talk about, you know, for those of you that don't know, my day job, I work for a vendor. Um, so I'm on the vendor side of the technology industry. Uh, I'm not on the, what people would call the customer or user side. And, you know, oftentimes, especially as companies are trying to go through these transformations, they're trying to adopt new technologies. You know, I often say to them, um, you know, the technology is, is part of the problem. And obviously, people and process and culture is part of the problem. And, and you know, there's different ways to, to sort of address that. But sometimes I often say, you know, you need to remind, remember that now that you're in this sort of digital transformation business, or you're in the, the part of IT in which you're really directly serving customers, or you're directly serving your customers, as opposed to delivering, you know, back office types of applications is you often have this technology's worth you investing your time because um, it might help your career, it's going to help your company, it's going to help you for investment protection long term, all those sort of things. Those are things that, that vendors invest in because they recognize that, number one, there's a lot of things that compete for people's times and energy and, uh, you know, their their thought process. And number two, um, you know, especially if you're dealing with something new as opposed to just replacing something old, they need help. They need help learning. You know, people have learning curves. People are afraid of new things. And so what you see – uh, technology companies invest in is what I'll call in-between jobs, in-between people. And for anybody who does these jobs, um, I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. You'll also hopefully not be too offended. Um, but these are the kind of jobs that oftentimes <clears throat> are uh, somewhat unique personalities. They're typically people who are both technology people and something else, right? So maybe they're technologist and they speak well with business people. Maybe they understand finances and economics. Maybe they're technology people and very good communicators, right? So they they build good presentations, they build good demonstrations, and they're able to do storytelling, right? They're typically not just, um, hey, I'm the technologist, I work on Linux, or I'm the technologist, I work on the database. They're sort of multifaceted. And so on one hand, this makes them a very valuable commodity because oftentimes in the room when you're trying to convince people to use technology, adopt new technology, again, whether this is a, an internal situation or an external situation, you're going to have multiple stakeholders in the room. You're going to have people who know a lot about the technology and you've got to be able to speak to them. But you're also going to be speaking to people who know very little about the technology, but they understand a lot about the business problem they're trying to solve. So they may not know anything about your NoSQL database, but they do know that you know this is what a great user experience might look like if you're trying to build a ride-sharing app. Okay, well, those two things might go together, right? And <clears throat> so oftentimes what uh, vendor companies have to do is they have to hire these in-between people, right? And you know, typically the jobs, the job titles, things that you'll hear floating around the industry are things like developer relations or DevRel. You'll hear people called, um, you know, whatever technology evangelist or technology advocates. Um, sometimes you'll hear them being called technical marketing managers. Um, in some cases, they're called strategists, right? Chief technology officer in the field, you know, field technology officer, chief strategist, all those sort of things. And I'm going to make an argument that, um, you know, while it can be difficult sometimes to understand exactly what these people do, um, you know, sometimes you go, well, you're not a product manager, you're not the product engineer, 
Um, you're not in technical support. So you don't take phone calls when things break. Um, you're not the person who installs it. What is your job? Like, what do you actually do, right? And, and this conversation comes up quite a bit. But the reason I, I'm going to argue that I think these, these roles are fairly important, and you can call them whatever you want within your company, the title doesn't really matter, it's that in order for technology to be successful, it needs these sort of in-between things because uh, a couple of things. First and foremost, um, normally in your what I'll call traditional roles, product management, product marketing, uh, you know, IT delivery, uh, could be sales, could be whatever it is within your organization, you know, core engineering. Those folks are typically measured very much on uh, here's a project, here's the number of deliverables for that project, here's the time frame and the budget for that project. And you're, you're kind of forced to think within certain silos because you need to get those things done within that time frame, against that budget, against those metrics. And, you know, while there will be some people, you know, call it an enterprise architect, for example, or, or something along those lines, who is tasked with thinking outside of the box, a lot of times those groups aren't tasked with thinking outside of the box, right? Um, or more and more we're seeing, uh, you know, as, as organizations begin to uh, roll out services and they want to be able to do things like self-service, um, there's a little bit of, well, how much control do I give up, right? I, wanna, I want people to have a great experience, but I don't really want to mess up security. I don't know how to necessarily do that. And so a lot of times what happens with these in-between roles, and, and the reason I bring this up is, you know, as much as vendors invest in these, I would argue that oftentimes as an end customer, especially if you're trying to get an internal project to be successful, you almost have to think about, you know, these types of roles. How could a role like this help you, right? Do you need help, um, you know, letting your constituents, your stakeholders know, hey, I have this great new service available. Oh, you do? Well, what is it about? What, what does it mean? Well, you're probably going to want to include certain buzzwords because people are attracted to buzzwords, right? They'll tell you they don't like them, but they're attracted to them because it does things like helps their resume, helps them compare technology A to technology B. It helps them put things in a certain context. Oh, that's a buzzword X type of technology. Okay, I understand that. It's sort of like this other thing, right? So they're going to help you kind of frame up some conversations, in some cases, they're going to help you do demonstrations, right? Because just throwing the documentation or the software at somebody or a Git, uh, you know, a GitHub repository or even a free tier on, on Amazon or Google, it doesn't mean anybody knows how to do it, right? And if any of you have ever, um, you know, watched your kids learn or you're in the garage trying to fix something or whatever, the first place we start looking is for demonstrations. We go on YouTube. We look for other people that have done it. I don't necessarily want to read the, the documentation, unfortunately, documentation is oftentimes, you know, lacking. Unfortunately, we don't invest enough in it. But that might be somebody who's put together a demonstration of this. They're showing you live how to do it. And you can kind of learn from that. Well, typically, your product manager is not necessarily going to do that. Uh, maybe your engineer is not going to necessarily do that, because maybe they don't have the right communication skills. They don't necessarily maybe know anything about video editing. Maybe they don't have a, a live environment to work on and tinker around with and so forth. This is where you see DevRel advocates, technical marketing, and those types of people, you know, are there to fill in the blank, fill in between these gaps, help me do a demonstration, help me come up with this crazy idea to get people excited about your batch processing job, but do it in a way that people go, oh, wow, 
did you see that thing that that Michelle did? That was an awesome demo. It was so cool. She did that thing about you know how to sort through thirty one thousand flavors of ice cream so that we could sort through for you know a birthday party. And you're like, oh, it's kind of crazy. We really wouldn't do that in real life, but that was kind of cool. I remember it. And I remember how easy that interface seemed to be able to use. Or I remember how easy it was to import data. She did an awesome job of putting that together. And so, <clears throat> you know, I would argue that as you're thinking about this, or you're thinking about those types of roles, instead of going, well. Is that a marketing function? Should that live in the marketing organization? Or is that really an engineering function? I mean, are they really writing code? I mean, our engineers tend to get measured on, you know, lines of code or deliverables, or do they meet a scrum? Well, they don't really do that. You know, you have to sort of step back and go, <clears throat> yes, but do they fill a gap, right? And and this is where I think it's really important, uh, again, sometimes for the customer community to look at the vendor community and go, how, you know, especially the ones that you like, the ones that you love their products, you love how they go to market, you love how they interact with communities. How do they do it? What are the roles that they have that made it easier for you, right? When you went out to YouTube and you wanted to look up something about how a database worked, who's the person that built that video, right? What did the, what's their job title? And is that something that maybe you need within your organization? Now, I think the same sort of thing applies to strategy, now, uh, this sounds like a totally self-aggrandizing thing because my day job title happens to have strategy. And so, yep, blowhardy me should say that, yes, that's an important job. But I think, you know, if you think about it, the role of something like strategy, um, you know, while in some cases it could be M&A, you're trying to help acquire the next thing that you're going to need for your business, or it's going to be, you know, looking at competitive threats or competitive intelligence, maybe like how well do you do versus other things. It's also somebody who's able to step outside of the, the typical boundaries of your company. Um, you know, maybe you work in three-month increments or one-month increments or six-month increments. It's able to think a little bit about you know, what-if questions. You know, what if our best product becomes commoditized? What if our competitor acquires another company that takes away one of our big differentiations? And so it's, it's, a, you know, it's a role that... Um, you know, may not necessarily own responsibility for a product or own responsibility for engineering, but it's a role that really is sort of important to have because <clears throat> as you're thinking about delivering your project, your product, getting it done in three months or six months, or how am I going to support this? They're thinking a couple of years in advance. They're thinking, okay, this is going to roll out. Hopefully this does well. This moves the pieces in the chessboard this way or that way. Um, you know, but are we thinking about this, this next order kind of move that's going to happen, this next order behavior that happens once this new thing gets implemented and does well? And again, these are the types of things that on the vendor side of the world uh, we tend to do because not only do we have to think about uh, a couple of years in advance because it takes a while to build new technologies or invent new things, but you have to think about is that thing, if we do it, is that going to get us to the place we want to be, right? Because you have to think 12 minutes in advance, 18 months in advance, 24 months in advance. So I'm going to kind of wrap up. I don't want this one to be too long. Um, this is a little bit of, uh, like I said, kind of a uh, you know cheerleading for the in-between people. But I think, you know, as I go back to the original question of how do we improve our adoption rate? Well, part of that, I think, is going to go back to the fundamentals. Um, you know, do you actually understand the problem you're trying to solve? Do you really understand it? Have you, have you done enough market intelligence and, and talked to the people that, that you know, have the problem that you're trying to solve? Number two, do you have good product market fit? Because solving a problem, you know, is one thing, but solving it in a way that somebody wants to consume it is another thing, right? Those are the fundamentals. And most product managers, that's what they should be thinking about every day of the week. But then you start to get into, but how do we accelerate that? You know, and 
one of the things I think is really important is thinking about those in-between roles. Are we able to demonstrate this? Are we able to make the onboarding experience easy? Do we have an easy way for somebody to reach out and say, I'm having a problem with this. How do I, how do, I do it better? Or how do I even do it? Or, hey, what if, right? I have this crazy scenario, but I think if this craziest scenario panned out, it really would solve a problem for me. It eliminates four steps. And you know, if there was a way that you could add a feature or if you could do this thing, and sometimes you just need people that go, okay, I'm going to try and put that together in my lab. I'm going to see if that works. Or maybe that works 80% so far today, and, and we've got to solve more of it you know, with some new features or something. So um, you know, whether whatever you call those groups internally, right? The vendors tend to call them, like I said, uh, developer relations, advocate, evangelist, technical marketing, those types of things. And they sound like kind of weird oxymoron, cross-functional types of things, you know, technical and marketing. Oh, those are, that's like jumbo shrimp. But the reality is those jobs are there to help ease friction. And one last thing I'll say about this, um, because I know from talking to a lot of people that have these roles, um, and you know, people will run into the same sort of thing, whether this is you know on the vendor side or the customer thing side, is oftentimes people really love these roles because it allows them to wear multiple hats. It allows them to be both technical and business or technical and finance or technical and communication, whatever it is. Um, but then oftentimes they go, well... But these jobs don't have, you know, senior roles. There's not a vice president of developer relations or a vice president of, of whatever. And you know what? I think that's okay. Uh, the reason I say that is because these roles, you really should think of them as it's an opportunity for any company to build a pipeline of, <clears throat> you know, interesting people, people that are technically curious, but also have some other skill sets, right? It's a chance to cross pollinate and, and cross skill. But it's also a chance for people uh, within an organization, again, uh, customer side, vendor side, whatever it is, to learn about the business because you're living in between it. You have to be somebody who can work cross-functionally. You know, you have to be able to work with your product teams, your engineering teams, your groups that talk to your customers, your groups that talk to your partners. You have to understand process. You have to understand technology. You have to understand how to communicate. And oftentimes what happens with these roles is after a couple of years, um, you might get sick of it because you're doing repetitive stuff or you feel like, gosh, people don't give me enough respect. But now you've learned enough to decide, what part of the business do I like? Do I want to be more on the engineering side? Do I want to double down on that? Do I want to be more on the business side? Do I want to be in a marketing role? Do I want to be in a you know, market customer facing, you know, out in the field, uh, working with our product directly kind of role? Or do you decide, nope, this just isn't the right place for me and I want to go somewhere else and work on some other new technology, but in this type of role. So it's a really good opportunity, maybe not necessarily to make you know, a 20-year career path out of it, maybe like you would uh, you know, in product management, but it is a great opportunity to, to bring in people, to cross-pollinate them, to te- learn a lot of things about your organization, and then find out where they want to go next. And then you can bring in another set of people. So you know, I think there's there's really opportunities, but I found in my experience that companies that are really successful do invest in these types of things. Now, how many you need to invest in, it's completely up to you. Um, you know, sometimes you find the right person, you need one. Sometimes you're doing something on a global scale, you need a dozen. It could be anywhere in between. Um, but, you know, my argument uh, sort of for, you know, how do we improve our adoption rate? I think oftentimes you're going to do the basics that are going to get you to a certain point, and then you've got to invest in those in-between people. And so this is my argument for investing in the in-betweeners, uh, call them what you want, call them whatever you want. Um, I've often found that, uh, you know, they are a very, very good investment. Um, they're somebody who, you know, works incredibly hard because they get a chance to work on a lot of things. So they stay very motivated. And like I said, it's a great place to, uh, to pipeline for them to improve other parts of your organization and then to bring in new people and, uh, <clears throat> you know, continue to, to improve your adoption rate. 
So with that, I'm going to wrap it up for the Sunday's perspective. Like I said, sometimes we just start off with a question that we hear over and over again, and it's good to sort of talk out uh, some of our thoughts around it based on experience. So hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope you get a chance to uh, share the show with a friend. We really appreciate uh, all the feedback we get week in and week out and all the listeners around the world who uh, who let us know that they're listening and, uh, and you know, send in new ideas. So always, if you got questions or you know comments, show at thecloudcast.net. We'd love to hear from you. So with that, we're going to wrap up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 